Coming up on this edition of Entitled Weekend, it's a look back at the halfway point of the season. We're gonna we're gonna ask the question: Who would we ban if we were Elon Musk on Twitter? And we're gonna play another round of Pitch Spot or Not. It's all right here on Entitled Weekend right now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Entitled Weekend. And welcome everyone to Entitled Weekend. It is the anniversary edition of our, our first uh, show was, of, was uh, one year ago yesterday. Well, at least it was posted one year ago yesterday. And uh, yeah, just, just a part of the Entitled uh, Podcast Network. And well, what we can say we've learned over the past year is nobody's learned anything. And especially as we get into the halfway point of the 2022 season, there's just been a whole bunch of, of bullshit. And considering the fact that looking back at these games and opponents so far, well, first of all, Rob, Bill, and Dan are here with me. And first of all, looking back at these games and opponents so far to evaluate this first half, okay, 20 to 7 loss at Miami. Now, obviously, they're one of the best teams in the AFC, and they never win in Miami in September anyway. Played them tough, came down to a couple of key mistakes. I think one was. Brown blowing a blocking assignment near our own end zone. And then Kyle Duggar taking the wrong angle on Jalen Waddle on a short pass. Also, the rest missed the pass interference in the end zone to Parker. They win against Pittsburgh. We know the Steelers aren't that good, but they won the game on the road. You'll take that. A loss against Baltimore. The Ravens, one of the best teams in the AFC. I would say of all the games, this was probably the best offensive game of the year. Parker was five for 168 yards, and they were headed for a win with three minutes left when Nelson Aguilar fumbled on the Baltimore 30. Tough loss because of turnovers there. Lost at Green Bay, 27-24. Uh, Bailey Zappi's first game. Should have won. May, may, a lot of people say the coaches maybe should have been more aggressive on overtime. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say whether or not. Um, first and ten at the 50. Maybe you blame it on play calling. Maybe you blame it on whatever, but it, the offensive game plan was good enough um, versus Detroit. The Detroit, as we've seen today, they're not a bad team, and Zappi played great. One against Cleveland, 38-15. to 15. Impressive win. One on the road against another team that isn't too bad. Lost versus Chicago, 33-14. They ran all over Miami the, the other day, just like they did to the Patriots. So, really, I don't think that loss looks as bad as it does as it did when it happened. Um, obviously, both both the both quarterbacks and the entire offense and the defense looked bad. It was just a bad game. One at the Jets, 22-17. The Jets are no joke. Top defense. They just beat Buffalo. Um, great bounce back road win. Max showed great discipline. And they won versus Indianapolis, 26-3. Dominant win against a team with a great defense. Did what they had to do. So the Patriots have won four out of the last five games. Yet the, the deafening criticism around here and local media it's, is really crazy. So, Bill, I'll go to you first. Um, what's your overall take on this on this uh, half season? And 
why 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 is this why is everybody just so ready to to give up because i'm not because they forget what the teams look like from 2001 to 2006 i think the guys on the on the on the entitled town pod did a great job of breaking down some of the you know history especially i think they talked about 03 a lot uh but it wasn't always easy to get wins and again as they said on on the on the mothership this is not to say that this is the 03 patriots because it's not it's a very different team but this is it's most teams are not offensive juggernauts with the greatest quarterback of all time under center. Some teams with the greatest quarterback of all time under center are doing worse than the Patriots this year to this point. So when I look at this, it's very much the telltale story that Belichick illustrates every year. We won't know what this team is until after Thanksgiving. We're just not going to know. And I think there's some key markers to point to with several of these teams. We've had, t- we, you know, I think that the Bears game was really reminiscent of the Wildcat uh, Miami Dolphins game when they debuted like a totally different offense and just waxed the Pats. I, I was very fortunately not watching the, that, that game. Um, but because this one was on primetime, I was, you know, had to endure it. Um, but that Wildcat game, was just, you know, uh, looking back on it, it was because they had game planned for something entirely different. And I think everyone can see that the Bears the last several weeks have looked like an entirely different offensive team than they do now. So if I take that and look at that as the outlier, what I'm seeing trends in is that the Pats are competitive in almost every game, that they're a team that might need a bounce to go their way against some of the highest end teams in the league. But it's football and that happens and you need to take advantage of those opportunities when they arise. The long story short is I think that part of their schedule in the first half was as difficult as the most difficult games in the back half. The Bills are a very good team. Don't get it twisted. But they're not the juggernaut that they were last year in the final two matchups. They are. They have some flaws. They have some things they're working through. Allen is now banged up. Um, they're missing Hyde. Um, and Poyer has been banged up all year. Like they, they're just not the same juggernaut team they were the year before. Um, obviously, we're playing Miami again, but Baltimore's an exceptional team. I would say they're better than the Bengals are. Um, I, you know, looking at the at the way the rest of the year plays out, it's. I think the next three games tell a lot of their playoff aspirations, but I think that the final four or five games are really going to be what, what tells you what this team was this year, whether they're in the playoffs or not. If they play their best ball and miss the playoffs, but they finish four and one against really good competition, you're feeling good about next season. Um, so it, it's sort of just a very unique year in which, and I said it from the beginning of the season, I was measuring this on development of players. We want to see the next eight weeks from Mac Jones and see what he looks like. We want to see Barmore back and healthy. We want to see Ramondre Stevenson and if he can hold up the the amount of workload he's taking on right now and be that bell cow style back um, moving forward, because obviously we've got like Harris in a contract year. So looking at all of that, it's really development. And next three weeks tell us a lot about playoff hopes, but the, ne- the final five will tell us the story of who this team was um in the in the 2022 season um so I, I it's probably a real cop-out answer i'm sure i'll you know steve r will love that one but that that that's my opinion on that dan i want to i want to go to uh specifically the defense um 
the last two weeks, they've built off a, an incredible momentum. Matthew Judon has been the MVP of the defense. I, I don't think that's a controversial take to have because of, of the leadership that he shows. Um, the run defense has been awesome. Uh, Gotcho guy being back has been big time. Boys doing a great job there. Um, Uche playing well. Barmore should be back for the Jets game, and that'll be huge. Um, but I specifically want to focus on the special teams because, again, uh, everybody's taking their cues from Greg Bedard that special teams don't matter. And uh, it, they've been really key. Uh, Brendan Schooler, who, who's been really key, uh, a guy who's been key around the ball. And Nick Falk. I mean, I, I never want to go back to the days of Shane Graham, but I think we're lucky to have Nick Folk. Um, no, he isn't Justin Tucker, but he's been damn automatic. And, you know, he's had some epic performances the last week or so. And, I mean, obviously that goes to the kicking situation for the last 22 years. I mean, besides that, you know, a little snafu with Steven Goskowski towards the end of his tenure, you know, they've been blessed with that. So uh, just overall, like the defense and the special teams, uh, where do you fall on that? Yeah, I think I think it's really their lifeblood. I think the defense and special teams. Now, the craziest part of all of this, and I, and I want to say with with what Bill was saying is, you know, we still haven't seen the Patriots, other than maybe one or two games, fire on all cylinders, which is the best slash scariest part. Which is we haven't had a struggle on some sort <laughs> part of the ball, whether it's offense, special teams, typically. Once in a while, defense has had a, you know, they'll have a poor outing, but ultimately, like, they are one of the top defenses in the league. Um, <clears throat> Judon is, you know, the MVP, the def defensive player of the year on, on the defense, but there's so many people who are not getting the credit they deserve for the jobs that they're doing. I mean, Gotchow doing great at eating up space, taking on double teams to free up guys like Judon. Wise has been great at setting the edge and causing his own pressure. And this is all while Barmore has been out for a few games, which I think he comes back after the bye. And that becomes a huge addition to that front seven, which has been underrated, I feel, for so long, who Joe Murray had to say, this was the worst linebacking core in team history. And he was, he was so mad that I went after him last Sunday about this. But it's true to say that this unit is the worst linebacking core in team history. Do you know how extreme that is? That's like, do you remember when, oh, we could go back to 2011, 2012, and then, you know, before, um, I mean, after guys like Bruski left and Vrabel left, there, there was a sizable gap for a long time with we needed a good linebacking unit. Um, Gerard Mayo finally came around. Uh, yeah, he the was the next, of all was those. next piece, yeah. Right. But Gerard Mayo never had a guy that really went with him other than Brandon Spikes. And Brandon Spikes has his, had his own issues. He was only, I mean, off the field stuff, obviously. But well, maybe, maybe he, Tully, Tully Banta came. <laughs> yeah, Tully. So it's, it's, it's guys that, and, and they're not well-rounded either. I mean, they do some tricks. Like these guys get five or six sacks a season. Wow, great. You're talking about a unit right now who is on pace for an insane amount of sacks. Uh, and it's not just Judon. Judon is the primary um, contributor, but they have so many guys who are starting to take the leap, like Uche. I mean, last game you could see he's taking the leap. Um, Wise took the leap this year. Um, Duggar took the leap, I think, last season, but he's really 
taken that to the next level this year as well. And so many other guys that are veterans on the team, plus the rookies are contributing. And to kind of segue over, it's like you guys got, we have guys like Marcus Jones. And Marcus Jones is great in the secondary. He still hasn't even got his limelight there yet because of there's so many other guys that are contributing. Jonathan Jones, Jack Jones, Jalen Mills has been great. So I look at special teams and think, Marcus Jones has been one of the best returners in the league. And he just started returning kicks a quarter of the way through the season. It wasn't, he didn't even start returning kicks until a few games in at least. So I think it's a well-rounded unit. The, the one part, and I think anyone would agree that scares people is the punter um, to say special teams aren't important. That's one area where you could say, wow, having a good punter yeah. is really important. Uh, I don't know how many times that he's kicked the ball this season. And I've said, what is going on? Why is he, you know, shanking this kick with little to no wind to go just 25 net yards or something like that? So there's been a lot of question marks there. I hope he can turn it around because the guy was a pro bowler, all pro at one point. Um, and it, it seemed like it, it all kind of went downhill this season, but um, I have faith because there's guys like Nick Folk on that staff who, yeah, probably one of the offense even though he's special teams, he's probably one of the offensive MVPs for the, the Patriots. But that's a, that's that should be your source of reliability. I, I always hate how people knock having a good kicker, yet Justin Tucker gets all this praise, but you can also like Lamar Jackson. Just because you have two good things doesn't make one more important than the other, that sort of thing. So I, I, I love how we have Nick Folk, and hopefully when Mac Jones finally gets a little bit more healthy and gets a little more consistency in this offense – just because, I, like I said, we haven't had a game other than maybe like the Browns game, maybe the Lions game where we fired on all cylinders. And it would be nice to have a healthy offensive line. Just like there's just been so many parts moving here that we really haven't had this full look of the team. Of like they're all healthy. And I think the Bills, to to their, to their that point, what, what Bill was saying earlier is the Bills started off fresh. They had everybody. They were fully loaded going in. And we all said, after everyone anointed them the Super Bowl champions after like two or three weeks, it's kind of like, well, this is a game of longevity. What we got to see that, you know, a team like the Buffalo Bills is just super top heavy. And a lot of these NFL teams are top heavy where their starting rosters look fantastic. But once injuries start happening, once people or people aren't performing well, you start to see that that depth chart unravel a little bit like an onion. You peel the layers back and see how deep it goes. And right now the Patriots have, <laughs> say that the deepest onion they they basically have the most layers and i think that's always been bill's go-to is he's like i can outlast you i can outlast you in a game a singular game i can outlast you during the season so if guys get hurt i have other guys that can step up and it's it's very little difference and i know that's always been a knock against the patriots but it's always a good thing like if you have the next guy up and it's not a huge drop off that that protects you against the other team exposing your weaknesses, which you see all the time in the NFL is like, well, you got the second, the second string and the third string guy. That's where the ball's going to go with the Patriots. It's not as easy. It's not as easy to say, well, this guy's stepping in now. Let's target that area. That guy might be pretty close to the guy above him. So I don't think it as a knock, I think it's a strength. And I, th I think we're seeing that more of the season. I think with the defense, especially like when Barmore went out and you still had, Godchow and you still had um Larry Guy, but when Larry Guy got hurt, you had Godchow, and then you had guys like uh Carl Davis and and there's some other guys on the line that 
kind of go under the radar that can just still do enough to, to fill the space. So I think ultimately where we are in the season, I think the defense and special teams to me aren't a surprise. I think punting is the only surprise. Um, but I think that's going to be continue to be your staple as you get into the second half of the season. And I think especially what we learned from last year with the defense was that longevity that I just mentioned is super important. And that's staying healthy, rotating guys in, and also making sure people don't run out of gas. And I think Judon with injuries and everything else, I think Judon went so top heavy with, with his season, the first half of the season that I think it got to the point last year where he's like, wow, this is a long ass season. Um, I played my hand already. Basically like he gave it all. And I think this season's a little bit more, well, we have some other guys stepping up. So it doesn't have, I mean, Judon is just playing out of his mind. So it's like one of those things where it doesn't have to be you, but it is right now. And as soon as he feels like he needs to take it off the gas, there's other guys that are going to step up. So um, I think there's a lot of, I think the thing that surprised the most people and you guys can probably all agree is the secondary, the secondary, everybody said this, this secondary is going to blow, especially when JC Jackson and we could pull all the receipts we want. Cause everybody panicked when it happened, all their shoes were filled with piss. When he left, it was like, Bill, you have dementia basically is what, all the fans want to say uh and you let go of gilmore already and look what happens he just shows why he's a good drafter he knows talent and they step right back up into the roles yeah it is interesting over the last couple of weeks very few open receivers to be seen especially whether they're in zone or man coverages and i mean obviously there's a size differential thing that that is sometimes bodes might bode as a problem but most of the time they overcome it don't know if It'll hold up, but so far they've they've done pretty well. And, uh, and if you want to if you want to attack that point, Shaq, because I know I've seen it. Yeah. Is people say, well, look at the quarterbacks you faced. I, I can't stand when people use that reasoning. It's like it's the NFL. It's hard to win. And second, look at the quarterbacks across the league this year. It's been a circus in at least I say a third of the league to be nice, but at least half the league. So it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the ball. If you're winning games, that's all that matters. So I don't, I don't care if it's the competition they face or the quarterback specifically on that team. They've, they've taken advantage of those situations. That's exactly what you should do. Right. Rob, uh, the offensive, everybody wants to blame offensive coaching. Everybody wants to blame Matt Patricia and, and Joe Judge because they're the, they're the lightning rods. They've been the lightning rods since the offseason. But you know, obviously, when you're looking at the offensive line and the quarterback who, you know, seemingly seem like they're not progressing, and you got go to a guy like Cole Strange, who, you know, graded out very well his first seven games, the last two, not so much. Nobody likes to look at the why. Nobody looks, they always like to look at, well, he got benched. That means he sucks. That means he's a, he's a uh, bust, and it means nothing. Um Everybody doesn't want to acknowledge maybe it's because of the quality of the opponent. Maybe it is regression of technique or, or concentration. Um, it's always hard to isolate offensive line and defensive line stuff from a TV network feed. You know, all you'll get is glimpses. So it's hard to, it's for me at least, it's difficult to assign blame when you don't know the blocking assignments and adjustments. But that being said, I'm glad they pulled him because it's good to know that, first of all, they hold a guy accountable. And secondly, you know, uh, you can't make the hands of the face penalty. But secondly, that just emphasized, and we talked about this in our chat, that David Andrews is the most important player on offense to me. 
on, especially on the offensive line. For that reason, when he comes back, I expect to see a big improvement with him. Solidifying that key position will make everybody better. Um, I know the guys on in title uh, on the title town talked about uh, the line groupings, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. But um, I, I know there's going to be several who want to believe that who you're playing next to has nothing to do with how you're doing, but it does. I mean, we, you know, Ference, he's a he's a trier, but he's not very effective. So I, I think that that's going to bode very well. David Andrews, he's he's key for me. Well, I mean, I couldn't possibly agree more. I think the loss of David Andrews and specifically the timing of the loss of David Andrews uh, was the the most pivotal point in terms of sort of the Patriots offense hitting neutral. Um, you know, the the Mac Jones ankle injury, you know, people want to say he was playing terrible against Baltimore. He wasn't playing terrible against Baltimore. He was actually, it looked like he was finally starting to, you know, hit his stride a little bit. Then the ankle injury happens. Then he, he, you know, overcomes the ankle injury. He comes back a little sooner than expected, but then David Andrews is out because of that cheap shot by the Bears defensive line. I think it was Petten that hit him. Um, and losing Andrews has just seemed to have a ripple effect across the middle part of that offensive line. I think it has everything in the world to do with Cole Strange, not necessarily things like the hands to the face penalty. I mean, it's football. You're going to get called for that sort of stuff when you're down there and you're hand fighting and you know, you're down in the trenches. You're not going to, you're not immune to getting those types of penalties. But when you're talking about things like missed assignments, free rushers, things like that, these are things you don't normally see coming up the middle when David Andrews is there kind of keeping everybody's shit together. Um, so I think that they've had a right tackle problem all year long. I think Isaiah Wynn has been, you know, had a really rough first half of the year. Um, I think it was Matt Chatham, if I'm not mistaken, who um, came out with a tweet where he basically, I thought it was really intriguing. I'm curious whether the Patriots will do this. He thought over the bye, um, sort of reworking that right side of the offensive line and just flip-flopping Wynn and Onwenu. So you have Mike Onwenu playing right tackle, Isaiah Wynn playing uh, right guard, um, and then just kind of see how that works. But either way, I think we've seen seasons in the past where the bye week has come at a really inopportune time. It either comes too early or comes too late. I think this particular season, this bye week could not have come at a better time, especially coming off the heels of beating, uh, you know, getting the win in, the, in New York against the Jets and then getting that win against the Colts. Now you can come in, you can get the bye week, you get Andrews back, you get Barmore back, Damian Harris, Devontae Parker, you know, all these guys are now going to come back. They'll be healthy. Duggar gets an extra week to rest that knee, um, you know, and it gives the coaching staff a chance to kind of take a deep breath, take a look at everything, see what they can do with the line. Mac gets the extra week to kind of get the ankle back to where it needs to be. It, you know, I think this gives them the perfect opportunity to hit the ground running in the second half and make no mistake about it. This division is wide open. I don't care what anybody says. This division is wide open and everything is especially right now, as, especially now as we're taping the bills just lost against the Vikings. So. Correct. Two in a row. They've lost now. And yep. the Patriots come out of this bye week. They get the jets at home. They sweep the jets. They still have two more against Buffalo. They have the dolphins at home. This division is wide open. And if the Patriots can get their offense, they don't, they're never going to be the, we're going to hang 50 on you a week. They're not going to be the, what the, the, the 07 Patriots. That's not what they need to be. That's not what they need to be. They need to get the offensive line figured out. And you can see flashes of it. You can see flashes of it last week when Mac Jones would drop back to pass, had protection, 
knew he had protection, had time, was able to set his feet and rip it. He looked like Mac Jones from last year. And that's exactly what they need to do. And the more times he gets that, the more consistency that offensive line can show him, the more comfortable he gets, the better they run the ball. This game, they're going to win and lose games based on that defense, which I think is a top three defense in the NFL right now. I think their defense is as good and nobody talks about them, which is fine, but their defense is not going to, yeah, they're just, I think they're going to, as long as they stay healthy, that they're going to continue to get better and better and better. And um, so I think the defense will lead them. This offense will score enough points to win games and their special teams will make some timely plays like they did last week. How many times have we seen that recipe pan out and, and turn out to be wildly successful for the Patriots? So I am optimistic, but it's all going to come down to that offensive line. And if that offensive line can kind of get their shit together a little bit, get Mac a little bit more time and run the ball, I think this team, you know, with, with the games they have in front of them, have just as good a shot at winning the division as anybody does right now. So that's kind of where I'm at with this. And Make I'm wildly optimistic. Thick again. Make football <laughs> thick again. That's what we've been saying. It. The strength of your team is in the trenches. And if they figure out that offensive line, this team will be a juggernaut. And we've been saying that, you know, Shaq said it's the one-year anniversary. We've been saying that since pod one. It's, it's yeah. all about the interior play. And I, you know, I know we hit on it in a few different spots, but we talk about winning up the middle and the Pats have been missing the two most integral pieces of the middle on both sides of the ball for the last couple weeks. Barmore in the middle on the defense and Andrews in the middle on the offense. Those guys come back healthy. And I think you're looking at improvement on both sides of the ball, which on the defense is, is exceptionally scary. And mm-hmm. on the offense, just sort of sort out. You've got talent. Sort out where it best fits, and shove it down people's throats with a top. Five, I'm going to say a top five running back in the league right now, Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, Dan said said something in the chat a few a few days ago, or, or maybe he tweeted it um, about giving Mondre like Derrick Henry type amount of amount of carries. Like like he's. Not, not nothing against Damian Harris. I love him as well. Like he's 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 a really good compliment. But if you're gonna if you're gonna run, run the guy. ball thirty times, run the ball thirty times yeah. a game, run it twenty two of them to Stevenson. Yeah, and 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 just and pass it to him too. I mean, the, yep. the guy can do. And yeah. and it was I was comparing just for accuracy purposes. I was comparing him to CMC, even though right um, CMC. I think I think I think Steven I think Stevenson's a little less injury prone knock on wood i'm not cursing him um i do think that you can even see when he <laughs> his run style it's so much less rigid than and, and i love it like you said i love harris but harris is a little more rigid he's more compact you almost see stevenson when he gets hit he has the flexibility to kind of just and get that balance right even after he gets i mean the guy i mean hits after contact he he's one of the top running backs i think he might be the top at this point in terms of yards after contact i mean that uh, the Jets game was a perfect example. Of, he was getting hit at the line, and then he would get five more yards post-contact just because he rumbles, stumbles, whatever he needs to do. And, I mean, was it the Browns game where he had almost the beast mode moment or the, the beast quake is kind of like he he just ran through everybody. So I think it just shows you. And there's nothing wrong with having more than one good running back. I, I've never understood why that's an issue. And it's the same thing with having more than one good quarterback. It doesn't have to be 
a controversy when the other guys it's just whoever's playing well should be playing um i don't need some delusional fans saying like oh i want to see harris out there just because stevenson has like one bad game that's the thing is like the level of competition the strengths the weaknesses it all changes the matchup to matchup so um and I think that's another thing that the Patriots do really well on top of the depth and everything like that. They figure out different guys who can be the main contributors in a game plan. It doesn't have to be the same guys. It just turns out right now the same guys are stepping up because of injury. So I think like Judon's a perfect example. Um, the special teamers, especially the gunners, you know, guys like Schooler and Slater. Um, these guys are just really great at what they do and they're always stepping up but we need other guys to step up in different areas. And I think if anyone's going to step up, we all know it's the offensive line. They, they have to figure that out. And I think, you know, it's funny because people always say, how do you not know how, who should be at what position on the line right now? It's like it, it never really, it, unless you've been playing with the same line, let's say these guys, if this was like a high school team, they played two years of JV together and then they get to varsity, the third year of varsity. Okay. Now they're going into three, four years same exact rules on that offensive line. It's a totally different thing when you've had that consistency. And because of trades, yes, or Mason leaving and Tooney leaving and Brown leaving, coming back, uh, you know, when never really finding where he's supposed to be, it's a, it's just musical chairs. And at some point you're going to find your rhythm. Um, and I think the bye week obviously is a perfect time, especially with David Andrews. I think he is, He's the soul of that offensive line. He he's been huge for Cole Strange. You get you have a guy next to you like a leader and a veteran as a rookie. Your play is going to be so much better as soon as he's out. That's going to drop, and that that was the case for Cole Strange the last two games. It dropped as soon as Andrews left. That's what I see as the factor. I don't not because he's a reach. It's not because oh like he's finally becoming what we thought he was going to be. That's not true at all. It's, it makes a huge difference when you have a guy with. I mean, how long has Andrews been in the league now? Like seven years at least? I think so. I think he might yeah. be right on seven. So, like, you get a guy with seven years experience who's been to Super Bowls, things like that, next to you. It makes a huge difference between him and, like, Ferentz or whoever comes in to, to play the center position. Uh, and I think that's the same thing for Win. I think you could play Win at, at guard and put Strange at the other guard, and you have a guy in the middle who can – you know, fix them if things are, are not going correctly. And I have more faith in Brown and on Winu on the outsides to just be those, I hate to say this, but the pillars of strength on the outside, you just need it. it it's just, to me, that's how it's all going to sync up. Um, you're really to, to Shaq's point, you're using David Andrews. He is your MVP of that offense in a way of he's going to, from the inside out, make your offensive line better. He's going to make Mac Jones better. Because he also points out before the play starts, you know, who's the Mac, what they're trying to do, anything that they're trying to change. No, it's so undervalued the importance of what Dave Andrews was doing before. And as soon as he goes out, it's like, why do they know the plays? It's like, that's what guys like David Andrews are going to prevent from happening. Is he's going to say, we like, you know, they're going to call something, call, call an audible. We got to go to the left side instead of right. Like, that's what the center can do. And then for when Tom Brady was the quarterback, he had a center that would do that sometimes, but for the most part, it was Tom Brady doing that. So it's 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 a it's a lot different now in, in the ways that things work, and you figure out who's really important when injuries happen. But hopefully, after the bye, they heal up, and 
uh, like we said, make football thick again, and you're going to strengthen strengthen that whole ship up. I want to see two one more thing. At... Yeah, one, one, one more thing, real quick, that we didn't mention um, is going into the second half of the season, and we've said this before, but it it's bears repeating. We will have the coaching advantage every single week, and in most cases, a massive coaching advantage, which cannot be understated. So, overstated. Yeah. My my big wish list thing for the second half is to see Harris and Stevenson on the field at the same time and maybe some um, Janu Smith in the backfield as well. Do some split back in the shotgun, make people think about it going in both directions. I, I, I just think that's a, an element that could just add a little bit of misdirection. And that's something they probably need right now. And they're probably figuring out through the self-scouting that they do in the buy. And, and, and to that point, I hate to be like, uh, see all the fans complaining about Janu Smith. It's like, it, it, I don't think we've seen a Jonah Smith game plan yet. And I hope we get to see one because to your point, I think between Jonu and Stevenson, uh, Bourne, um, and even Parker, when he gets healthy, I, I think you got guys who can be possession guys after the fact and go um, with the ball, get yards after contact. Um, I think, I think that's a thing that's going to start unraveling for the Patriots. I think we've seen so many bits and pieces of it the last month. It's starting to come together that you got a lot of guys who can roll on yardage versus we're going to have to do a little dink and duck and things with Myers where we're just cutting across and, you know, getting a little eight yard pick and let's say little, but like his eight yard pickup versus, Oh, we're doing 20, 30 yard chunks down, down the field. And, and again, I think it also has to do with how they're calling the offense with Mac. Um, I just think there's a lot, a lot to see after the buy. And I think none of us, I think we're all guessing obviously, but when after the buy, it'd be great to see this come together. And, and I also hate to be the guy that says how important a game is, but the Jets game is really important. I can't, I don't want to underplay how important that game is going to be because you, you can basically, you're not going to knock out the Jets per se, but you take full control over that. What is becoming, Hey, all four of these teams could be in the playoffs. If they sweep the Jets, that's huge. Yeah, with it's two huge. against the Bills, you could plus and, it's and a you divisional have conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have at Minnesota, Bills at home, at Arizona, at Las Vegas, Bengals at home, Finns at home, and at Buffalo. And some of the, uh, these teams look beatable. And hey, me. I don't want to. I don't want to try and pick every game as a win. Every, no, every yeah, game at this yeah. point is a possible win, in my opinion. It could go either. Uh, yeah. it, it, as we've seen, it's not impossible to beat the Bills. But the Vikings is actually a big game, in a sense, because if you beat them and you get at some point you're tied with Buffalo, there's a tiebreaker there. there that's another – they lost to the Vikings. If you beat the Vikings there's, – there's so many little nuanced things that are going to happen as we come out of the bye in the next four to five weeks, how things kind of set up for what the, the playoff picture is going to be like. Um, I hate, I hate doing that saying This is the big game. And then they get to the next one. This is the big game. Um, I don't want to say, <laughs> keep saying that, but they all have importance. Uh, and everyone is important. We already know that it's incredibly hard. It's important, but there, there's going to be little storylines to each of these is why they're, even more important than usual, I think. You know what? You know what, coach? I haven't heard. You know all these uh, Pats fans with a Z complaining about Steve Belichick. I haven't heard any any 
Because last year it was all Steve Belichick's fault that the defense was so terrible. But now nothing. Not nepotism. Nepotism. Right. No, it's all Gerard Mayo now. Now, 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 Gerard. When it's good, Gerard Mayo, and like both are good coaches. Like this is not a yeah. dig at Gerard Mayo, but when it's bad, it's the people they don't want to succeed, and when it's good, it's the people they want to succeed. So now that offense doesn't look good, they're looking back at you know it's that you know describe a, a gif bingo card piece, but it's where they're looking longingly Wolverine looking at the pic- picture, and it's Josh McDaniels. Yeah, it, it's it, just consistently. Whenever something goes right, it's credit to a coach or the player or, oh, it's about time they listen to us. Yeah. Like, they're actually listening to us. Like, we're not expecting that if they come out on Sunday in two running back formation, I'm not going, oh, well, Bill Belichick finally listened to me, the guy on Entitled Weekend. Like, get, like just get over – everyone get over yourselves. You don't know what's going on. Give some credit to the – you know, coaches, the athletes, the the people who are involved, even if you don't like them, even if they're not the person that you thought would succeed. It's okay to admit that you were wrong about something. It's okay to admit that you might have had the wrong impression of somebody. Steve Belichick is a better defensive coach than a lot of people gave him credit for. And this year is showing that. And I think that we have long been spoiled by really good defensive coaches. So when there's any sort of slight off year or off game looking at you, Matt Patricia, Super Bowl, it all of a sudden becomes that person sucks. And, and I think, I think Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick perfectly complement each other. Mm-hmm. You got a guy who's super experienced and great at the back end of the secondary, which is Steve Belichick. And you combine that with a guy who was the captain of a front seven previously for the Patriots. And it shows he's, he's putting the strength back into the front seven. Um, I think you put, marry those two together and you have a complete defense that, a lot of people, it's, I mean, I don't know how many times I saw what, what holes do you still have to fill? Linebacker, cornerback, uh, safety because they're old. Like the takes or, oh, you need another edge guy. So it, it's like, so now you need, you need four guys all of a sudden. And yeah. this defense is, you know, like Rob said, is probably top three. Like, what are we doing here? You need, you need sustainability and stability on the front side of the offense. You don't. <laughs> You're right. looking at and, it's it's a tr- it's a smoke it's a game of uh it's smoke and mirrors right now like you're looking over here but the real issue is over here and it's not the play calling it's not just fundamentals just boil it down it's it's staring you right in the face what the issue is but yeah, yeah to, to your point Bill if something good goes goes right for the offense they're not going to give Patricia credit all that stuff no and I think and this is again not a dig at the co- at this particular coach but. What we're not hearing ire about, despite a lot of people's concerns with seven Zs being the wide receivers, we're not hearing hate on Troy Brown. And that's, again, not a dig at him. I don't think he deserves some sort of like dig. I think that it's just showing that when there are struggles, people are selective about who they want to provide that hate to and who they want to spit their vitriol at. And because a lot of people have really good memories of Troy Brown, and because a lot of people have really good memories of Gerard Mayo, they're going to target people that they think they have less good memories of, or that their most recent memories of are bad because of their head coaching experience. So it's just, people need to understand that the coaching elements are a cohesive thing. They all succeed or they all fail. And Belichick would call it that plainly. 
he calls himself out whenever there's a bad game. Says God out coached. Every every time when there's a when they lay an egg, God out coached. And I'm sure the first thing he does is walk into that meeting and talk about how everybody got out coached. It's not well that position played well, so good job pat on the head. Here's you know here's a treat. It's everybody needs to come together. So we all as fans should be looking towards that attitude and sort of responding in kind because there are a lot of cogs to this machine and there are positional coaches and coordinators and head coaches and assistant head coaches and people who have an influence in several ways so just be fair if you're gonna say that the offensive coaches aren't doing their job they are i disagree with you but make sure you're calling out troy brown if you're going to do that but you won't because it's more about who you want to fail than it is about actual criticism of the team yeah, and speaking of coaches, um, I want to move on to uh, something that I find really odd, and you guys do too, because we were talking about it. Um, apparently, everybody wants Josh McDaniels back. You know, now that he's having six, um, not that good of a, a time. Well, I think he was fired, was he not, uh, from the Raiders, or is he still coaching them? I'm not even sure, because you know, with this, with all of these Twitter. Um, unverifications I, you know a, a true story could be not true but uh listen congratulations on your eight dollar check marks keep grinding yeah we'll keep grinding that. you we'll do talk you about that later on keep we'll grinding keep, on. keep paying all, all, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later on all suck the, all it down fatties let's go we'll, we'll talk about that later on all the all the idiots who are uh shelling out uh, eight dollars to a billionaire but um josh mcdaniels uh, everybody wants him back. Uh, why? <laughs> and and not only Josh McDaniels, Tom Brady. Uh, app- apparently, he's coming back to the Patriots too. So, what is all? Why? Why are fans having such a hard time grasping that they're in the past? Not that it can't happen. Not, I'm not saying that none of this is imp- nothing's impossible in the NFL, um, as we'll talk about in, in the next thing that we're about to talk about. Nothing's impossible, um, but why what what is this fixation uh on let, let's bring let's bring a guy in what, what do you think about this rob let, let's bring let's bring josh mcdaniels in because well i guess he's unemployed and he needs a home well i mean i think it boils down to the whole sort of point of the podcast we have the whole josh mcdaniels um thing started back in the preseason it started when the patriots and raiders had their joint practices and the Boston media had already in their minds played out the 17 week season. The Patriots were a two win team. The Raiders were a 15 win team. Josh McDaniels was the offensive coordinator for some juggernaut offense that couldn't be stopped on a team that was, you know, a a wagon headed to the Super Bowl, which that was the narrative they were, um, they were pushing forward the entire preseason. I actually um, last week or maybe the week before I had dug out an old, Tom Curran tweet from the preseason where he had like, you know, a a gif of somebody crying and it was supposed to be Mac Jones looking across the sideline, watching Josh McDaniels coaching Derek Carr, like longing for, you know, the day when he could have Josh McDaniels back. And it was just, it was so absurd at the time. And it's even more absurd now when you, you kind of look at what McDaniels has done with this, uh, this Raiders team and granted their defense stinks, their defense stunk. To last year they, they they're just not good but he's got a 
plethora of weapons with a Z on this team. And he's got a, a serviceable quarterback, and yet they still can't seem to get out of their own way. And then, you know, you look at the Patriots offense where Matt, like you guys had already said, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are, you know, basically one rung below Jeff Saturday on the coaching tree as far as the media is concerned. And none of it, it's all fiction. It was all based on fiction when they started it. It's even more fictitious now when you see the season play out. And, you know, the Raiders are, you know, have the, the possibility here that they lose to Jeff Saturday and the Colts and they would be, what, two and seven? You know, Josh McDaniels could conceivably get fired by the end of this season. Do the Patriots bring I don't know. You know, like, it's, it's just absurd. It's just, it's the media drives these narratives. And that's the end of it. Two teams that were both, and everyone wants to do revisionist history now, but the Colts and the Raiders are both two teams people were talking about being the Super Bowl in the, in the offseason. So let's let's look at those receipts now and <laughs> look at these teams now and see what a difference. Oh, maybe you shouldn't make all your pr- predictions and put all your eggs in a basket in July or and Denver. April. Yeah. In Denver. <laughs> oh. Of course. Well, let's, go, let's go. Let's go back even further. Uh Bert Breer. Uh, hi, Bert. Um, hey Bert. Hey Bert. Um uh, Bert Breer, uh I, I know it was in 2018 or 2019. He was he appeared on I think Colin Cowherd saying that the Colts are a dynasty or a upcoming dynasty. I, I forget the the words that he used, but it, it's just like what 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 made him think that way? And now uh, Frank Wright was fired earlier um a couple weeks ago. So it's just a mess. That's what it is, though. That's what it is. They, they create these narratives that I don't know what that drives clicks. I don't know what their point is. I don't know why they feel that it's necessary to to make these sweeping declarations with no evidence and before things have a chance to play themselves out. But there's a huge faction of fans that just drink the shit down. And then that just becomes and then they get so entrenched in that corner, they can't come out of it. You know, which is the problem. So it's, I think it's all media driven is what I think, but it is. And they want to, what it is, is they want to be the person who gets the movie, the book deal, rather. They want to be the person who's writing the book because they were the first person to say how great that team was going to be. They want to be the person that looks like they were on the inside and those players all want to be cool with and they can be all swaggy with the, with the, with the right. or they want to get the article expose with Sean McVay with him doing with him doing the the hands to the back of his head like like he's a model like a supermodel. Yeah, he's getting ready for onlycoaches.net. Like it, what are we doing here? It's ridiculous. <laughs> but the other piece to this is people want Josh McDaniels back. And listen, could he come back? Like, absolutely, that that is in the realm of possibility. And I know, Shaq, you said we'll talk about other things that are completely ridiculous that went on later. But he's, as we're recording, Josh McDaniels is being shut out by the coaching debut of Jeff Saturday and is trailing by two scores. It is 10-0 Colts right now. And so he could fall to 2-7. and seven in this and I've already seen and I think it was current so I'm going to say that it's Tom Brady senior's opinion that oh Josh McDaniel shouldn't get fired because you didn't bring him in for only one year of success well yeah but you also signed Chandler Jones you also traded for Devontae Devontae Adams you also extended Derek Carr you did all of these things with the expectation that they were going to contend 
this year. And if that coach can't get you to contend this year, then are they the right coach to get this team to contend ever? Are they developing new players? Really? I'm not. Josh Jacobs is having a good year, but that's not a new player. That's somebody that you're going to need to sign to a deal in the offseason. Like this is, they're not developing new talent. They're bringing in veterans to say they are in a win now mindset. And honestly, unless the goal here is to make yourself look appealing for Tom Brady to move over to Oakland or sorry, Las Vegas after this season, then I don't see a point in keeping Josh McDaniels. If he can't show that he can win games this year, especially when it's sort of an underwhelming year for that division in general. The Chargers aren't looking like the juggernaut people thought they were going to be. The Broncos are certainly looking terrible. And the Chiefs aren't looking otherworldly. They're looking human. They're a very good team, but they're looking human. So with that sort of setup and the way that the league is just not elevating as it has in previous years, it's just the, the it's much more parity in, in nature. You're one of the worst teams in the league. You're you're far away from winning and you've got a lot of veterans with a lot of money put into them at that point, you might want to shift and find a different coach. So I like, I don't see how people see all the tools and weapons and toys that Josh McDaniels has and be clamoring for him to come back when he clearly has not been successful in implementing his offense here. And maybe he would have difficulty re-implementing his offense coming back to new England. That's an actual concern you can have. Right. So uh, let's move on to talk about uh, the, the the entire mess that we went into earlier about about the guy that the Colts just hired. Uh, and it was kind of a surprise. I mean, just Saturday. I mean, look, this is the guy that that got hired, the guy that Peyton Manning does not want calling plays for him. And they know. Two guys who are very, very competitive. They know what they're doing. They support each other, and they know that uh, they have to be on the same page for it, for it to work. Uh, but at the same time, you got two very smart guys who uh, will have some clashes at times. We're playing the Rams on Monday night. We got down there pretty close to the end zone. We threw the ball three times in a row, and uh, and incomplete and had to. We came off the field and we, we exchanged words of how we thought it should get done. And Jeff comes off and says, uh, we need to be running the ball down there. And I just, I just snapped. Hey, 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 we're calling the plays, all right? We gotta run the ball. Boy, it's down there. We're pass, watch, watch. We'll run the ball. Can we run it down there? This play. We can run it down there. Yeah, Jeff. We will. All right, we're gonna call pass plays. Walk. I was totally outmatched, you know, size, strength, you name it. No, he's going. Please, go sit down. Go sit down. Go sit down. Go sit down. We're cool. We don't have to yell. We ain't telling us He's doing it. Come on, man. He's yelling at us. You don't have to go yell. I think he 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 felt good about his workout that week, so he felt good about himself. The minute it was done, it's done for both of us. The thing I like about it is you tell each other. Uh, you don't call a press conference and tell the media. I'm mic'd up, too. I'm mic'd up. Mic'd up? Oh, yeah. Shut up. No, I am. They're going to have it. It's better than Desperate Housewives. <laughs> if Jeff's got a problem, he comes to me. If I got a problem, I go to him. And it's not always going to be this pleasant conversation. Right, where'd he go? 
conversation, I think that kind of makes you respect him and hopefully makes him respect me uh, even more. Regardless of what's said on the field or during a game, uh, we all know it's for one goal. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's the guy that, that Jim Irsay in his uh, coke-infested stupor uh, went on national television and had a press conference and hired. It's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. And listen, that's not to say that Jeff Saturday couldn't work as a head coach. I don't want to like insult the guy. What I want to insult is the process. You have several head coach candidates in house. You have several minority candidates and you tucked around the Rooney rule that you could have been looking at. And you said, oh, no, it's temporary. And Ursay's like, oh, no, it's just for the rest of this year and hopefully much longer. So, like, clearly he's the leader in the clubhouse here. He's been made, you know, sort of positioned so that if if he doesn't show incompetence in this role, it sounds like it's going to be his job. From a high school coaching experience to that, and I understand he was a player, but Troy Brown didn't instantly become head coach of a team. Gerard Mayo didn't become head coach of a team. There are plenty of former players for other teams that are in the coaching staffs. Um, You know, Wes Welker has been a wide receivers coach for a number of years. These guys are not rushing into becoming head coaches. And Ursay saying that the experience, he almost insulted experience, which drove me up a tree. It was, you know, oh, he won't have the like, being beholden to analytics and in his decision-making because he doesn't have the experience of being, what? <laughs> what, what? Like, what even is that? It's, so him not knowing things is the benefit? Like this, it, the whole thing just really stunk to me. And it just seemed like they were setting up and like a lot of people like they did Reich dirty and they did to a lot in a lot of ways. They made him get rid of his offensive coordinator, then made him switch quarterbacks. That was not an unintentional timeline. You get rid of the offensive coordinator, then you make him switch head, you make him switch quarterbacks. The the reports came out that that was a front office decision, not a head coaching decision. And so you did that till he got you know, till he got fired. And I didn't see, and maybe somebody has stats open for this, for this game in front of me, but I think I saw something that said Matt Ryan is quarterbacking today. He is. He is. Yeah. <laughs> so they literally saddled Reich with a young quarterback who wasn't ready for the moment after they made him fire his offensive coordinator to get to the point where they could fire him, hired Jeff Saturday, who had to quit on a high school team before their playoff game to come and coach your pro football team, and then let him put back in Matt Ryan. Like, what the fuck is this situation? It's the most ridiculous circus I have ever seen, and it's why the Colts, like, and Trust me, this is not a compliment to Colts fans. I think Colts fans have had a lot of ire for the Pats, and I have nothing good to say about them. But Colts fans are passionate and probably deserve a little bit better than the railroading that they got this year to look like a content, be told they were a contender, and to be rebuilding like six weeks later and not be told it was going to be a rebuild. And also shame on them for not trading Stefan Gilmore when they're going to be doing a rebuild. They waited till after the trade deadline so that they could have the maximum talent for Jeff Saturday while he makes a rebuilding team look better because they're allowed, now allowed to use the pieces that are the best for the team. 
I think the one thing that this whole situation um, just always brings me back to is that I think a lot of people lose sight of culture matters, you know, and it all starts at the top and it starts with the owner. And I think if we just look as, you know, as close to our situation as Belichick, when he was in Cleveland, you know, he learned that lesson the hard way coaching for Art Modell, you know, when Modell basically took the rug out from underneath him in 95, moved the team mid season. And I mean, there's a great documentary. If you guys haven't seen it, I highly recommend it where they go through exactly what happened. But from it, that situation, it's football life one, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, Cleveland 95. The 95. One. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. But um, so from that situation, uh, he winds up in New York uh, through New England with Parcells, and he was kind of the heir apparent. And the reason why he, you know, resigned as HC of the NYJ is it wasn't because of the Jets. It wasn't because of Parcells. It was because of the tenuous owner situation. The the I um I can't who uh, Leon Hess was owning the team when he signed his last contract extension. Leon Hess passed away, and the ownership situation was in flux. And it was either going to be Woody Johnson or it was going to be James Dolan, that asshole who owns the Knicks. One of those two was going to own the team, and Belichick decided I don't want to work for either one of those two guys, which is why he resigned because he's already seen what happens and the limiting culture you can build when you don't have an owner who's on the same page as you are. That's why he came to new England. That's why he and Kraft work so well together. That's a, that's exactly why I think what you're seeing in Indianapolis is a shitty culture led by just an insane man who owns the team because his old man owned the team. And there's whether they win today or not, this is never going to work. This Colts thing is never going to work until they get this culture squared away. And Frank Reich is a gift for him to get the hell out of there. And he's still getting paid. So I say, you know, but to hire Jeff Saturday, when you have, you know, John Fox on the staff who coached against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, um, they have Gus Bradley, they have Reggie Wayne, if you wanted to go Reggie former Wayne. player, yeah. you know, if you want, if you were that gung ho, Reggie Wayne's been in the building since training camp, since the draft, he's been the guy who's been in the building for 21 hours a day with the rest of the coaches. You know, what a slap in the face to all those guys and what a slap in the face to the coaching profession in general for by Ursay. I mean, it's his team. He can do whatever he wants. But um, yeah, it's just to me, it just shows me that culture really matters and they don't have it. So listen, Rob, I just want to say that having Reggie Wayne in for training camp does not mean he'll be in for the whole season, as most Patriots fans know. (laughs) (laughs) But no, great point. I just I I had why they call it. That's why they call it a cup of coffee. He's in there for a cup of coffee. The other thing that I think is so funny that I think we always just like brush it aside because we don't really care because it doesn't, it's not even a thing anymore. Uh, Even when Chris Ballard said it like years ago and said the rivalry is back on, I think the Colts still feel like they're on the same level as the Patriots in their delusional drug warped world. Uh, And I think it just showed another point where, oh, we lost to the Patriots. Now we got to, we got to clean house. We got to, we got to change everything around. Uh, they're in the upper quartile of the upper quartile. Well, the upper quartile of the upper quartile. <laughs> Steiner math. Them, if you did, if you did the math, that Jim probably doesn't even know what he said. Uh, that would make you a top two team. Thank y'all. And the Colts really feel like they're the rivalry is back on. <laughs> yeah, the rivalry. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and and the guys on the mothership hit on this that like. You know, they the Colts for a while probably were the Patriots' biggest rival. You know, and for a while, yeah. 
it was it was many moons ago though, and the, the Patriots yeah, clearly hammer, won that. Hammer, they, won hammer that. and nail, hammer right. and nail. That's that's the rival now. Uh, yeah, ever. I mean, what it is in reality is that Peyton Manning was the Patriots' biggest rival. Yes, it's because it, he went to he went to the Broncos and that immediately transferred. And then over they there. became a big rival of the Patriots because right. of him. Yeah, correct. Peyton Manning was the big rival of the Patriots, not an individual franchise. But it, it's it's just it, it's just absurd. The Steiner math thing about the top quartile of the top percentile. We've got ninety seven point two percent chance of winning, which spells disaster for you. Like it's just. It, it's, or be like, is, be like Jim Mercer, who's like, I don't, I don't know how the sausage is made, uh, but I, I know how to make a football team. This, this, what are you talking about? You don't, because you just made a guy who was on TV your head coach without vetting anybody or taking anyone serious. I mean, to you, to what you guys said, like, if I was a coach on that staff, you're like, fuck this, fuck I, this I don't yeah. buy into this. Like, you, you know, you got a guy coming in who. Is just talking out of his ass and you feel disrespected because you've worked so long, whether it's in the league or for that org in general. And then they're just like it to me. And I made a joke about tweeting it is like, it's legitimately the same to me as taking the mascot and making them a head coach. That that's the same level of vetting that went on there. It was just like, Oh, let me think of a crowd favorite that can kind of take away the negative energy we have going on especially for letting go of Frank Reich and Jeff Saturday. I mean, it, it, it was probably going to be anybody that was a big name. Reggie Wayne would years. have been a that I'm, I guarantee you that would have been a better, better for the, for the, for Colts fans. I mean, I, I yeah, fuck Colts better fans, but he would have been I mean, so much better. Peyton for Manning was definitely their first choice. <laughs> he was definitely their yeah. first choice. And he was, he probably laughed them off like, guys, what are you doing? And then he probably joked, he's like, what are you going to call Jeff Saturday next? And then he was like, it was oh, a no. great idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 Bluey at least would have, their mascot at least would have had like the hip movement thing down. Like he would have been able to teach some good <laughs> hip technique there. Um, but I think it was all like, to put a bow on my conspiracy theory, it was all really intentional to fire Reich. They put him in an absolute dumpster fire situation against the Patriots. The rivalry is back, Patriots. Fired his offensive coordinator, then changed quarterbacks, put him on a disaster track against the Patriots. And and, and, and not only that, they're in a they're in a division that's so winnable. In, they're in a division so winnable. So winnable. And they said decided, no, no, no. Instead, we're gonna sabotage our head coach. We're gonna we're gonna make all these changes and then we're gonna justify it because the Colts fans hate the Patriots. And if he's going to get waxed against the Patriots, he's not the guy. And then we're going to change everything back that we had originally fucked up and bring in Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday must have pictures of somebody for that, for this to have occurred the way it did. Like that's the only logical solution I have. Yeah. I don't think if, if, if he did ask Peyton, man, I, don't, I think Peyton is good doing his, uh, his his little Zoom call on uh, ESPN two every every Monday night. So, yeah, I mean he's getting millions for that. Yeah, so he's 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 all right. Um, I, I want let's I want to get to this because uh, obviously let's get to some fun because uh, Elon Musk and in his in his infinite wisdom uh, first had Twitter blue. And then didn't because, well, it didn't work. 
for whatever reason. And so, but you've seen a lot of a lot of people uh, pay the eight dollars, and now they have a blue check. Wonderful! You, you've earned you, you've earned you've given eight dollars to a billionaire. Um, but does it but does it shock you that a lot of Boston people haven't? Like, and not only Boston people, but just a lot of these accounts who are just, who have multiple hundreds of thousands of followers, but are just so hard strung on being, being popular that they didn't buy it. Is, is it odd to any of you guys? I think it's odd that some haven't purchased it, but I give them a modicum of respect if they don't. And if they don't in the long run, like if it comes back and, you know, I'm not ready to be like, good on you, Ramos. But like it, that could come with time where it's a modicum of credit for not kicking eight bucks a month to a billionaire so that you can look more self-important than you already consider yourself. It, it's, it's just a big old circle jerk for $8 a month. Look at how cool all of us are with the check mark. Well, you can check on It's like, yeah, this, this, this loser bought it. Like, that's what you can do. You just tap the little check and it's like, yeah, this moron purchased it. They, they, they are, they are kicking Elon Musk $96 a year. It, it like, that's what it's telling you. It, that's all that check mark means at this stage is you are shelling out $96 a year to a billionaire to look important. And of course, some of them, I'm not surprised that have purchased it. Because they're the ones that want to look self-important. Spike King, Savage Boston Sports. Like, of course they purchased it. Of course they did. And it's because they want to look like they're big time. And it's the, it's just the midlife crisis of Twitter existence. It's buying the sports car when you have no business driving one or buying a stick shift in a high price car when you've never been driven stick before and you're stalling out in the middle of the road. Like it's just ridiculous that we're dealing with this, but at the same time, I can't blame somebody for wanting to make $96 a year off vanity of people. <laughs> like I can't blame Elon for wanting to make $96 a year. I'm sorry. It, it, People are shelling out for it, and I love the people trolling it. It's amazing. But if I if I know idiots exist that will buy this for $96 a year for their vanity, of course you should open it up to that offer. Why wouldn't you? Like that's it, it's probably gonna, you know, bite them in the ass, but I, I understand the concept of like I want to make money off idiots. Yeah, I think the the blue check mark used to just be a way to distinguish whether it was real Adam Schefter or fake Adam Schefter, and now it's just now all the blue check mark tells you is yeah, who's or who, who's who's the asshole and who's not. <laughs> right, and now all it tells you is who has little dick syndrome, you know, and they gotta have their little blue check mark. But as far as like the misinformation on Twitter and the nonsense on Twitter, it's probably just as bad as it was when there were verified blue check marks, but. I mean, it's it's so ludicrous. If I were a Boston sports media guy and, you know, I really felt like I had to have one of those, I would just get my my news station to pay for it. I, there's no way I'm shelling out eight bucks a month to get that money to get a blue no. check mark. Maybe I'm just cheap and maybe I just see it as just absolutely moronic, but <laughs> I don't know, but there's no way in hell I'm shelling out eight bucks to get that money. To, to me, an overpriced large Starbucks drink is more valuable than the check mark. And I, if I can have one of those a month instead, 
I'm here for it. Like, sorry. Not even a question. Not even yeah. a debate. I would rather enjoy a, a, a beverage. I would rather buy a beer. I'd rather buy, you know, a six. I'd buy a six pack of Bud Light and, and enjoy six beers before I bought a Twitter check mark for $8 a month. It's just the stupidest thing that's ever cropped up. And it just, it's people raising their hands to say, I, 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 I have low self-esteem. Here I am. Here's my check mark. I have low self-esteem. I need to be validated by this this imaginary thing that I can't use in a job or anything else. <laughs> that but, also that also tells on you. It also tells on you. It's like this loser paid for it. It just <laughs> flat out is like, yo, this this, this moron has given Elon Musk ninety six dollars a year for a little circle on their profile that is utterly and, and the power to edit a tweet. <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. amazing. Yeah. Um. This goes to a question that Rob, a great question that Rob had in our chat. Um, if we were Elon Musk, you know, at first, at first I'd have to not take a shower for three weeks. But um, if I, we had Elon Musk's power to permanently suspend a Boston media, who would that be? And I've actually been mulling over this the whole week, but so I'm going, I'm actually going to go last. So Rob, what would be your pick? What? You know, I keep going, I keep waffling. There's so many to choose from. So I don't feel like I'm stealing anybody's here. I'm going to just go, I, I'm not going to overthink the room. I'm just going to go with the obvious answer for me. It's Ben Bowen. Um, he's, I, I, I wasn't going to go with him because he's so harmless because everybody knows what an idiot he is. But I think today he cinched it for me. I had to go Volan after today when he prematurely tweeted about the Bills victory in spite of Sean McDermott when the game was still going on. Um, and just everything that he's got, that he's done over the last month, and the fact that he shouldn't even be employed right now at the Boston Globe, but is, and yet still feels, you know, entitled to tweet and to just go right back to his old self again, as though nothing ever happened, as though he didn't just get caught completely fabricating the story about the starting quarterback of the team he covers for an alleged you know, respectable news outlet, which is anything but respectable. The fact that he's just on Twitter and just has completely shined it on as though it never happened, I'm, without even taking a hiatus or a break of any kind, I'm not going to overthink the room here. My answer is Ben Volan with a bullet. I got to go Tom Curran. And I'll keep it really brief as to why I, I would be really interested in making Tom Brady senior create his own Twitter account. I, you know, I, I would much prefer see the person who actually wants to say things, put it out there on the internet as opposed to having a mouthpiece. And that's the thing, like all media is a mouthpiece for somebody. And I understand that, but the shill that Tommy Curran has become is just so insulting to one, what he was when he was a little bit younger. Um, you know, what he was earlier in his career was a vastly better reporter. Um, and to just have become this, you know, parrot for things is so upsetting because he had the potential to be a Mike Reese type. He really did. And, you know, it's just like, that makes me mad about it. Genuinely. 
So I, I think because of how disappointed I am that somebody would just make the heel turn that aggressively, I'm going to go Tom Curran, but additionally, because it would force Tom Brady Sr. to make his own Twitter account and, you know, tweet his thoughts out from that rather than, you know, having his own hype man. Well, I have two answers. The first answer is, well, since he said, Rob said mediate, so that's one person, so I can only choose one. Um, but um, I, the second answer, I'm going to cheat a little bit. But the first answer, I'm going to go with. Um, it won't take away his his. Uh, I don't want to say power because that's giving him too much credit. But it won't take away his influence on uh, and his and what he's already done and what he's already said. But it will take away his ability to continue spreading lies. And that's John Tomasi. I mean, I know he's. He's kind of low on the totem pole now, and he's kept he's kept things a little bit quiet. But you can never forgive him for the sins that he's committed uh, in 2007, and that sin is still today to this day being spread and spread in the wrong way. Obviously, with Bob Costas saying what he did, uh, what he said about uh, the Patriots taking a walkthrough, um, it's all because of John Tomasi that it that it's still being. It's still a, a proverbial fact to the sports world at large. So um, if it was possible for, for me to take away his Twitter and so that he could never be an influence, that would be my answer. Because And, for, and secondly, you guys took the only other two that I could, I could have. Um, Tomasi's a great one. For sure. Yeah, That's a good he, call. Yeah, he's, he's the only guy I could really think of if it wasn't Tholen or, or Curran. But the other answer I have is I guess it's a combination of mediates. Um it, but it is a Twitter account, so it does count as one. So I'm gonna go with NBC Takes Boston, the NBC Sports Boston Twitter account, because the influence that account has, not just on Patriots fans and the narratives that come out, but of opposing fans who see that these people are talking about the Patriots in such a negative way, whether it's Bedard. Volan, uh, Felger, the guy, the other guys on 98.5 who they signed to class, but they post, they repost, you know, some of the hits on, on 98.5. They're spreading all of these messaging out to the world. And fans are thinking that this is what, how Patriots fans feel. Obviously it isn't, but this is what they're thinking. And so NBC takes Boston is so harmful to Patriot discourse. And so if I could take away their Twitter, I think it would do it, it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, be everything, but I think it would go a long way towards getting the narrative to be righted a little bit. I agree, but I think they just all spin it to their own Twitter accounts at that point. True, true. You, you and, just and have that, you just have more Twitter accounts you know what, saying that. And you know what? Now that I just now I just thought about it. I would I would have I should have said Bedard his Twitter account because I, I forgot he had one but i'm blocked <laughs> so <laughs> I, I i forgot that he had one <laughs> simple pleasures simple pleasures okay so since this is our anniversary show i felt that it was necessary to play to do something that we did on one of our first shows and it was a, a big success that we had to do it again and the game is called Pitch Bot. It's not. It's not.
Um, this is where we uh, distinguish whether this is a tweet from the any media pitch bot. I'm telling Rob and Bill to not cheat. Do not go to his Twitter account and look at um, any of his tweets. So we're doing this uh, totally fairly. Um, I've got, and this is going to be a quick game because I ha have three here. I didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of research because his his Twitter account has kind of taken a little bit of a shift uh, because the tweets are because the media's tweets are so bad that you know what's the point of it anyway. But um, we're going to play a little bit here, and I have some music for the occasion. It can work. Here we go. So. This is the first tweet I have. Here we go. Is this 10-day break coming at the worst possible time for the Patriots? We examine the downsides of this potential momentum-killing weekend off. Is that pitch bot or not? I'm going Bedard. I'm, oh no, I'm go, I'm going I'm going pitch bot on that. It's just it's too pointed, and it I, I think it probably associates to the Bruins peaking too soon type takes that came out recently. <laughs> Well, it's actually pit spot. Uh -huh. All right, one for one. <laughs> All right, let me get the next one over here. Okay, Patriots coaches continue to pump up Mac Jones, no matter if it looks like he's taking a step back from last year. Pit spot or not? I'll not. go first. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. That's not pit spot. I'm gonna say that's. I want to say Lazard. Uh, I'm going to say answer? DJ Bean. DJ Bean. <laughs> Wait, what did you say, Bill? I said Lazard. Oh, okay. Well, well, you guys got it right. It's not Pitchbot. Um, it's actually Karen Garigian of the oh. Boston Herald. Oh. <laughs> I, f I forgot she existed. That's my bad. You should have had that one. <laughs> yeah, that's my bad. Hand up. <laughs> yeah, she's absolutely terrible. Um... Oh, here we go. Did Patriots players intentionally leak that opposing teams knew their plays? Pitch bot or not? It's the hardest one. I'm going to go pitch bot. I'm going to go not, and I'm going to go one more time to the well with Greg Bedard. If it's, if it's not pitch bot, <laughs> that's going to be a Tommy Curran. Um, it's not pitch bot, so Rob was right. Um, it's actually WEEI's Merloni Fourier and Migo. <laughs> <laughs> the holy trinity of stupid strikes again. Oh my god! Yep. Oh my god! Like uh, Odyssey. I mean, of course, your ratings are so terrible, and your bankrupt is just around the corner. Um. Let me see. Let me see if I can get one more in here before we go. Uh... You can hear songs that probably are as popular as this on Yeehaw 93.7 coming January 2023. <laughs> yep. Oh, Brady will return to the Patriots in 2023. Pitch bot or not? Not. 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 So what's your guess? that Ramos guy. I, I mean, I like, I, I feel like, but like, I, I, I am almost, I, did, I will never guess him 
because I think it's insulting to call him a actual like media pitch bot worthy individual. Um, so I am going to go with, oh God, um, Shaughnessy. I don't know. <laughs> it's not. The, the answer is um, the Greg Hill show. <laughs> what about oh, that, that oh, of course show? it's the Greg Hill show. <laughs> oh, if yeah. I had thought oh for this, gosh. yeah. If I if, if I if I could remember the the actual list of people that exist on EEI, which says a lot about yeah, their ratings. That, that 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 just goes to show you that the pitch bot has some work to do because there's more terrible stuff in real life than there is in imaginary life. So. So great job, guys. Uh, maybe we'll do that again if, if we hear enough. If we hear enough about it, um, time for our final thoughts. Uh, Rob, what's your final thought? Actually, Bill, I'll start. I'll, I'll start with you, Bill, since you had your mic on. All right, I, I didn't realize I had it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, obviously, one year mark for Entitled Weekend, and I think it's important to get back to why we do this, which is to dispel narratives and to talk about unrealistic hate and unrealistic expectations for primarily the Patriots, but Boston sports in general. Um, and I think what people need to remember based on where things stand as of 5.51 PM today, if the Patriots had beaten the Dolphins week one, the Patriots would be leading the AFC East currently because they would have the best division record and they would surpass the dolphins based on head to head the jets based on head to head and the bills based on division record because the bills are zero and two in the division currently so it would all be a cluster you know that's not to say they would win the division but they would be leading the division currently and i think a lot of people would have a very different take if the patriots were leading the division today than being in fourth place in the division so uh, if you're hinging your entire narrative on one game and the outcome from that one game, it's a shit narrative. So think about the, the performance. Like if you have critiques of the team, so should everybody. We all can see things and all want things to be done differently. We talked a lot about offensive line today, but in short, this show will continue to exist for a, a while because, well, people continue to build narratives for shitty reasons. and without understanding the nuances of what goes on in the sport and the Patriots are, are a team that is contending for a playoff spot. They deserve to be there. They are a better team than a lot of the negative narratives that are out there. That does not mean that we all think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. It doesn't mean that we think they're the favorite to do so, but they are a high quality team and a well-coached team. And I'm excited to see them in the second half, but keep that perspective in mind. If one game were different and they'd be in first instead of fourth, your narrative about how bad they are is probably crap. Yeah, excellent. Rob, what's your final thought? Uh, my final thought kind of trampolining off of that is, um, so Patriots fans like us follow this team 365 days a year, and we do so for this 17 games, these 17 weeks plus the playoffs. And as we stand right here, this we're heading into a stretch that, kind of illustrates what, why we follow them as closely as we do. You know, the Patriots are right in the thick of an absolute dogfight in a wide open AFC East now with Buffalo losing today. They're healthy and they're about to play the Jets, the Vikings and the Bills in a 12 game stretch, including the Vikings on Thanksgiving night. 
for people like me, it just doesn't get any better than that. Like I am so fired up for this next second half of this season. And before any of those games are played, we're recording this, you know, Sunday evening. If the 49ers beat the Chargers tonight on Sunday Night Football, the Patriots will now take over the seventh seed in the playoffs without even playing this week, heading into next week against the Jets. So this is the time of year when we all need to be enjoying this stuff as much as humanly possible. So as we always say, ignore the noise, turn off your radios, ignore the shoe pissers, and just enjoy the hell out of this because this is why we do what we do. That's a perfect final thought for, you know, the one year anniversary. And my final thought is actually not going to be me talking. I'm going to set this up. Um, I meant to do this uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I felt like it's important to do it now. Uh, Bill Belichick, uh, two weeks ago on October 30th, passed uh, Hallis into second place on NFL's coaching wins list. Um 325 career victories as a head coach, um, moving him past George Hallis, second second place all time. Uh, we're the luckiest fan base in the NFL. I don't think people realize that, uh, especially Patriots fans. I don't think we realize it, um, and I don't think we will realize it or or until he's gone. You know, don't know what you got till it's gone to Joni Mitchell. But uh, Matthew Slater said something really important that I think fans need to hear in the uh, locker room after the Jets game. And then this is gonna be my final thought. Here we go. It's only fitting that uh, Coach Belichick, he has a great appreciation for history. And it's only fitting that he makes some history today. I wanna challenge you guys to have an appreciation for history, where you came from, who paved the way for you. History is important, fellas. We can't forget where we come from. Because in order to understand where we're going, we got to be able to look back and learn from what happened in the past. <laughs> history matters. History made today, though. Let's go out here and keep our heads down, fellas. Keep grinding. Yep. And most importantly, stay together. Amen. Stay together, all right? So that's going to do it for Entitled Weekend. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at EntitledWeekend at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Entitled Weekend. Uh, I am at Atomic Dog 5150. Dan is at Villains and Vibes. Bill is at the Fib 624 Rob is at Hoodie Supremus. And until next time, turn off your radios, please, slugs. <laughs>